Hi there, and welcome to All Nations Church. We are so glad that you've joined us today. And whether you're a part of our local community or you're listening across the oceans from a different part of the globe, we are honored to have you here. Yes, times have changed and church as we know it looks a little bit different around the globe, but we truly believe that what the enemy intended for harm against us, God has used to draw his people closer together, uniting us in one heart and one mind. Our mission through these unpredictable times will ever remain the same, to bring a lost and hurting world around the globe into a life relationship with Christ Jesus. If you would like to know more about us as a church or what we are a part of, please visit our website at allnationswestend.com. Join us now as we hear from our senior pastor, Ross Coco. The message revolves around one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And it wasn't preached by Spurgeon, Wesley, or Billy Graham, or even our pastor Alex. The greatest sermon ever preached was preached some 2,000 years ago by the master himself, the creator of all things, visible and invisible. Yes, I know, you know who I'm referring to, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His name's Jesus. Hallelujah. And tonight's message is titled, The Sermon on the Mount. And I'll pray before I get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you for protecting us and sending your angels to surround us. I thank you during these turbulent times that you are always with us, so who can be against us? I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the privilege to be standing here tonight to share your word. And I pray that as that word went forth some 2,000 years ago by your son Jesus, that you would anoint that word tonight as it goes forth tonight in Jesus' name. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that every heart would be prepared to receive from you. Holy Spirit, that you would have your way in this place tonight, that every person's heart would be touched by you and that every person would know you intimately, Lord Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. So, the book that contains this message is... The Matthew or the Gospel of Matthew, which is the only gospel that records this powerful message. It has also been given another title. Does anyone know what it is from Matthew chapter 5? Beatitudes. Thank you, Chris. The Beatitudes, correct. Now, let's read from Matthew. I'm just going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Oh, yes, we're ready. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's stop there. Now, this message, the greatest sermon that was ever preached, did not begin with, Jesus telling us a joke or using a metaphorical parable. And he didn't waffle on. Jesus just went straight to the point. He just went straight to the point And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, 
This is the first of eight character traits that Jesus will reveal in his sermon on the mount. And this is the first one when he speaks about being poor in spirit. So what does it mean when Jesus is referring to being poor in spirit? See, being poor in spirit, I'll just help you out here, in one word, it means humility. See, someone who does not exalt themselves and someone who is not full of pride, they are a person that is poor in spirit. Now, in the, king, in the kingdom, many, many, many years ago, there was someone who existed. We know him as the devil or Satan. And in heaven, his name was Lucifer, which means the angel of light. Now, when Lucifer filled his heart with pride, he rebelled against God. And then what happened? He was instantly and powerfully cast out of heaven. And a third of the angels that were under his authority were cast out with him. Now, that is because in the kingdom of heaven, there is no room for pride. Are we getting this tonight? There is no room for pride in the kingdom of heaven. That's why Satan was cast out. See, humility means that you are willing to submit to the will of God and not to be under your own will. Humility is a life that's lived denying yourself. As the Bible tells us, those that humble themselves, they're the ones that are going to be exalted. But if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. See, pride is a cancer. It can take hold of your heart. I'll share with you three quotes about humility. These are three that um, some people shared. Humility is staying teachable regardless of how much you already know. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Did we get that? And pride is about our own glory, but humility is about God's glory. Hallelujah. See, that is why those that are poor in spirit, those that are humble, are powerful, they're the ones that it says um, theirs is the kingdom of God. Those that are humble, theirs is the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Now, we'll move on to the next uh, trait here in verse 4. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Hallelujah. So blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What is Jesus referring to here when he's saying those who mourn? See, perhaps he's referring to, to a spiritual sorrow. 
the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He says this, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. See, church, repentance is an act of regretting sincerely the sin that is in your past or in your life with the intention not to repeat it again, to turn away from sin. It is making the decision to turn away from evil and to serve God. And that's why sorrow or repentance is one of the requirements for the receiving of God's grace, which leads to salvation, which is not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world That is to be regretted because it produces death. Godly sorrow, repentance comes when we rightly see ourselves in the light of God's word. See, when we we know the word of God, it illuminates our mind to our sin. I didn't realize how much of a sinner I was until the spirit of God came into my life and opened my eyes to the word. The word is what revealed to me how sinful my nature is. See, we don't realize we go through life blinded to our sinful nature. But it's not until we're illuminated by the spirit of God and we can see the truth of how our nature is. And the word of God illuminates that nature. So those that mourn, Those that repent, those are the ones the Bible says will be comforted. See, they are the ones that receive God's grace. They are the ones that will receive eternal life. They are the ones that are going to receive eternal life for all eternity. Amen. That is why those that mourn will be comforted. Hallelujah. And then we can move on to the third characteristic here in verse 5. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, this is a very interesting one. When I look up the word meek in the dictionary, there are three words that are used to describe its meaning. They are quiet, gentle, and submissive. Quiet, gentle, and submissive. So meekness is someone who is quiet, gentle, and submissive. In the world, these qualities are frowned upon. These are seen as weakness and are seen as abhorrent to the world's uh, attitude. But in God's eyes, they're seen as mighty. In fact, he tells us that the meek shall inherit the earth. How many people here tonight consider themselves as meek, quiet, gentle, and submissive? Now, no one raise their hands. Thank you, Rob. (laughs) Now, watch this reaction. Are you ready? How many wives in here tonight consider themselves as meek? 
No hands? What's going on? (laughs) But clearly, you see, this is the way the world thinks. It's not the way that God thinks. Meekness is strength in the eyes of God. He says that those that are meek will inherit the earth. Because, see, there is a strength in being gentle and quiet and submissive. There is a strength in that. It takes humility. There is a strength in those traits. And that's why none of us should be afraid to be meek. Hallelujah. So are we getting these character traits that Jesus preached about on the, at, uh, on the mount? Hallelujah. Now, the next one. The next character, the fourth character trait is in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hallelujah. What an awesome trait that is. See, to hunger and thirst for righteousness denotes a life that is completely sold out to pleasing God. Using the two human desires as an illustration here, hunger and thirst. These are desires we experience on a daily basis as human beings. Every single day, we feel hungry and we feel thirsty. So why does God, why does Jesus use this as an illustration? Because he is saying to us that if we have the same desire to be righteous before God, the same desire that we have every single day of our life when we get hungry and we get thirsty. He says, you shall be filled. But what is he saying here? See, righteousness is imputed upon us at the time we repent and we receive the gift of God's grace. We know that we are righteous because of the blood of Jesus. Is that right? Hallelujah. So what is this righteousness that is spoken about here that we have to hunger and thirst after? Well, it is a desire to live a sanctified life and to flee from sin. That is to live or to hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, that is a life that is pleasing to God. When you are at a point where you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be in a place of complete contentment. See, Pastor Alex shared about material things. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, material things will mean nothing to you. They will completely fall away from you. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is its not to live a mediocre life, a Christian life. It's not to be happy with the minimum of what God has for you, but to hunger and thirst for the fullness of God and his character. Hallelujah. That is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, when we live in such a way, you will be filled with the anointing power of the Holy Ghost. 
See, we are the temple of God. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. That is why when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, God says we'll be filled. What are we filled with? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Because we're the temple of God. He will fill us with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And we will be totally set apart and empowered by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's go to the fifth trait that Jesus speaks of here in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Hallelujah. To be merciful is to be compassionate and not to be condemning. It's being sensitive to the needs of others. To be merciful is also to be forgiving. See, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, to be merciful means to have a forgiving heart. We will have compassion. We will have forgiveness. It's allowing um, our hearts not, or it's not, not allowing our hearts to be hardened by circumstances or people that have done you wrong. It's not allowing um, you to hold on to the right to be angry with someone. Having a forgiving heart means that you're handed over to God. It means that you are merciful. Hallelujah. And that's the heart that God wants us to have. Only because he wants us to be like him. And how much was God merciful to us? When he found us to be sinners. When he found us to be completely separated from him. His mercy was extended to us. God wants his character traits to be in us. Hallelujah. And that's why Jesus, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was describing the characteristics, the traits of God. These are the things that please God. These are the things that move God. He wants us as the body of Christ to be merciful. Hallelujah. Let's move on to the sixth one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hallelujah. See, the Bible tells us that God is not like man. Man judges outwardly. Rather, God looks upon the heart. And that's why he said, blessed are the pure in heart. God looks upon our heart. He sees what no one else sees. He looks upon the heart of man. A heart that is pure is what God is seeking after. He said that about David before he crowned him king. He said he chose David because he said he is a man after my own heart. But this is the amazing thing. 
was David perfect? No. See, having a pure heart doesn't mean that you're perfect. Having a pure heart means that you want to be perfected. See, what God is seeking as David, when he sinned, he realized his sin and what did he do? He repented. He got on his knees and cried out before God. And that is a pure heart. A heart, well, a pure heart is one that wants to get right before God. It's not one that doesn't make mistakes. It's not one that is perfect, but it is one that wants to keep a right relationship with his creator or her creator. Hallelujah. That is the heart that God is seeking after. One that, yes, is fragile. One that can make mistakes, but one that is willing to surrender and repent and get their hearts right with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The next is the seventh trait, and it's in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. To be a peacemaker means that you're connected to the Prince of Peace. A peacemaker is not about division. They are about unity. Amen? Hallelujah. A peacemaker is about looking after the body of Christ and advancing the kingdom of God. See, a peacemaker does not enter into unnecessary disputes. A peacemaker is someone that you can totally confide in. They do not spread rumours and do not spread gossip. The peacemakers will be called the sons or the children of God because they are about God's kingdom. Hallelujah. If you're a peacemaker... You want the best for the body of Christ. See, they have the bride of Christ, the body of Christ at their utmost. They want the best for all brothers and sisters. A peacemaker is the most trusted friend that you could totally rely upon. And so can the Lord. See, all of us, should desire and strive to be peacemakers. We should all desire to be peacemakers in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. We'll move to the last one in the eighth trait here, which appears in verses 10 to 12. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Hallelujah. See, church, we are in these days. We are drawing closer to the second coming of Christ. This persecution 
is already happening in many countries across the face of the earth. There are many Christians that die probably on a daily basis. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know they're massive. How many people have been martyred for Christ even in the last 20 years? It's massive. Many people have been martyred because of their faith. And here, Jesus tells us that blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See, the time is drawing close where we in this nation may even suffer persecution and may even suffer death to be Christians. The day could come. Things are uh, happening rapidly across the face of the earth. Who expected this year to be in total lockdown? Who expected COVID-19 to uh, be spread across the face of the earth? See, things can happen all of a sudden. The Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, hallelujah. See, we have to be ready. Yes, the world is rapidly changing before our eyes. There are many disasters happening. We heard about all the earthquakes and all the things that have been occurring um, probably just in the last 10 years. And then we see such a breakdown of morality in societies where same-sex marriage and all these um, variations to the truth of God's word, all these compromises have been implemented as law in many nations. We're seeing a breakdown. So all these things are happening before our very eyes. But praise God. Praise God that we stand strong in our faith, that we're not moved, that it says here, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. The Bible says here in verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Church, it is a total blessing to live our lives for Christ. See, what we suffer or what we go through in this world is nothing. The Bible describes our lives like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. See, what is important is our eternity. What is important is what we do with this life that we've been given. And it's a short time. If you look on the spectrum of eternity, it doesn't even register. Even if you are blessed to live a hundred odd years, it's still nothing compared to eternity. So, church, whatever we go through in this life, it doesn't matter compared to the glory that we're going to receive when we go to be with our Savior. Hallelujah. See, this sermon that Jesus preached some 2,000 years ago outlined our character traits, outlined what we or how we should conduct ourselves before the face of God, as children of God, 
That is how we should be. Jesus spoke of these character traits. And church, it's so important that we don't only read the word, that we don't only hear the word, but that we become doers and we would live the word. Hallelujah. So these things that Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount, in these Beatitudes, these are the things that as we read, we need to implement in our lives. We need to be these people. We need to be merciful. We need to be peacemakers. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hallelujah. These are the things that align us with God's character. As I close tonight, I just encourage you that each day as you face each trial, it's good to have brothers and sisters in Christ that are there that will encourage you and pray for you. But I encourage you to get into God's word. Allow the word to lift you up. It will produce faith when you need faith. It will produce a resilience because, see, when we face trials, church, we need to be, stand strong in the Lord. The, the, our enemy is always trying to pull us down. As we heard tonight, um, a young man took his life. It is so easy. It's so easy to take our eyes off Jesus and find ourselves in a very vulnerable place. That's why each day we've got to keep short accounts Each day, we have to keep our hearts right with the Lord. Don't worry about making a good impression with your brothers and sisters. Worry about where your heart is. The Bible says there in these Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart. We need to keep our hearts pure before the Lord. We need to keep right relationship. Hallelujah. The first one again. Yeah, poor in spirit, yeah. Go go over it again. Okay, let's go over it again. Hallelujah. <laughs> let's start the sermon again. <laughs> no, no, just, just kidding. <laughs> so, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what I shared was being poor in spirit is not being poor. It's not talking about physical attributes. It's talking about spiritual. It's talking about humility, about not exalting ourselves, but being humble. And that's why being poor in spirit is to have a heart that is completely willing to serve God, a heart that is completely surrendered to Him, one that does not exalt itself, one that humbles itself. That is being poor in spirit, is being one of humility. There's such power in humility. There's such great power in living a humble life before God. Hallelujah. And that's what the first one is. And that's why I I believe Jesus spoke it first and he mentioned it first because it has such a powerful impact on every believer's life is to humble yourself before God. In, um, in James there, it says, humble yourself before God 
And then it says to flee from the devil. See, humility is power. The world sees it as weakness. And that's why God is, like God's traits, God's thinking is totally opposite to the world's thinking. What is strong and powerful in the world is weak in the eyes of God. But what is weak to the world is powerful in the eyes of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for connecting with us. We would love the chance to stay in contact with you. We want to help you find your next steps in life with vision and purpose through Jesus Christ. If you haven't already, you can jump onto our website at allnationswestend.com to find out more. We look forward to doing this journey together.